If I was to ask you the question, what is God like? I imagine that there would be lots of different answers coming from just this room. If I was to say, what is God like? There would be so many different answers. Some people would be like, oh my goodness, he's so wonderful. I love him. I can tell the people who would say that, by the way. Some people would be like, well, God's a bit distant. I'm not really feeling him at the moment. Some people might be um, tempted to think that God doesn't care because there's hard things happening in their life or they might look at the world and see some of the hard things happening and they, would, they might just think, well, God doesn't really care. And you might, you might even be sitting there going, well, I don't even know if there is a God. And we probably bump into people all the time and they're like, well, I don't even know if there is a God, right? And we do this without even realising it. We have thoughts about God. We have perceptions of him based on what other people have said or what's in the news or um, what's happening in the world or even perceptions based on our own circumstances or what's happened in our life or how we've been brought up, right? And you may have heard the saying that perception forms reality. Has anyone heard that saying? It is a saying. <laughs> it's a saying. And I've observed over the years watching people and even in my own life, I've observed that how you perceive God will determine how you receive from God, right? What you perceive about God will determine how you receive from him, right? What you think about God matters. It really does. Because it will have a direct impact on what you can receive from him. For example, if you have the perception that God is distant and not interested in your life, do you think you'll be inspired to, like, reach out to him? No. If you think that God isn't real, will your heart be open or closed to him? It will be closed. So even if... He's like screaming from the heavens, I'm real, I love you, whatever. Your heart's closed. You're not even thinking about him. You're like, God's not real. I'm just living my own little life, right? If you think that God is a harsh judge, will you be running to him? No, right? Probably the greatest example of this was in the Bible. Jesus came in the flesh, but the people of the day were expecting a Messiah, a great king, right? Who would come and swoop in and free them from the oppression of the Romans. That's how they perceived him. And so when Jesus came as a humble, humble baby, Joseph and Mary's son, a carpenter, they were like, this can't, like, this can't be God. 
And he was even walking in signs, miracles, and wonders. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was casting out demons. He was multiplying food. He was walking on the water. Oh, my goodness. Like, you can't wave a big enough flag to say, I am God in the flesh. And, and still, like, from his hometown, the people wouldn't, they couldn't receive from him because he didn't match the perception they had of him. I feel like today the Father wants to set the record straight. This is a really simple message. It's so simple. But he wants to set the record straight. And we're going to build on this over the next couple of weeks. But let's go to 1 John 4 verse 7. Uh, It should be up on the screen. No? It's definitely there. I spent hours making a PowerPoint. We're going to pause because I want it to be up on the screen. Yes, that's it. We found it. Praise the Lord. Sorry, it's not very pretty. I really didn't spend hours making this. It's not very exciting, is it? Come on, Naomi. (laughs) All right. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God is love. Point number one. God is is love. It's simple, isn't it? The Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. It could have said God is compassionate. It could have said God is kind. God is holy. God is just. Like, yes, he's all those things. But it all comes from love. God is love. God God doesn't just do love. He doesn't just give it out when he feels like it right? He can't help but love because that's who he is. And at the core of every human being, there is a desire to be loved. And some of you may have only felt like human love. Some of you may have had like good human love. Some of you may have experienced really bad examples of love. You might say, well, Naomi, I don't feel God's love. I'm reading right there in the word. God is love, but I don't feel it. How can I believe he loves me if I don't feel it? Let's keep reading, hey? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest means you can see it. You can feel it. It's, it's made, like, real to you. God's, uh, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. Point number two is, God made a way for you to receive love, and his name is Jesus. God could see the brokenness of humanity. Sin was separating us from him. He could see that no matter how hard we tried, we still keep sinning. Anyone ever been in that boat? You try really hard, but you still do the wrong thing, right? We couldn't measure up, so he sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way and yet without sin. He was crucified. We know, if you've been around, you know this. But it's important. He was crucified. He took your place. He took your place. He took the sins of the world on his shoulders. And every wicked, rotten, awful thing that's ever been done in the whole of humanity. Think of the worst sin you can think of. And he became it. And then he condemned it in his flesh, right? We get so familiar with this message. But while you were still dead in your sin, Jesus died for you. When you were far off, when you weren't even thinking about him, he died for you. And it wasn't a quick and painless death. It wasn't just a like shot in the arm and Jesus is dead, right? We know, we know. It was torturous. He was tortured. He was brutally murdered. Okay, they, they got, um, they tied him to a whipping post. 39 lashes. Rope and bone and metal on the ends, right? It's awful to think about. But this is what he did. 39 lashes. Not one inch of his body wasn't broken apart. You know those um, pictures that you see of a white Jesus hanging on a cross and he's got a little white cloth here and there's not a mark on him, there might be a drop of blood. Didn't look anything like that, right? He was ripped apart from head to toe. They, um, crown of thorns, pressed it into his head right? Beat him, ripped out his beard, spat on him, insulted him, right? Brutal. And then, like, can you imagine, like, we ca our brains can't even comprehend being, being whipped or beaten like that, like he was. And then they're like, awesome, now you're going to stand up and we're going to tie this cross to your back. It's broken and bleeding. You can probably see his bones. And, and you're going to have to carry that now. However many, sorry, I didn't look up how many miles it was to, to get to 
to the place where he would then be crucified. And he struggled to carry it. His body would have been in shock, blood. Imagine the blood loss. Imagine the pain, right? Someone else ended up having to carry his cross. Then they get it there. They get to the place. And then they nail through his legs, through his hands, just boom, nail him to the cross, lift him up, and then he starts slowly suffocating to death. The Bible says you couldn't even tell if he was a male or a female. The Bible says he was marred more than any man. We get so familiar with this message, but the whole point of it is God was saying, I love you. I love you. If, if, you, don't, if you don't ever experience anything else of the love of God, you read through that story and the love of God is on display for you. He's like, I love you, I love you, I love you. When you were dead in your sins, when you weren't thinking about me, I did that for you. This is how we know that he loves us because he sent his son. We cannot get familiar with this message. And it was so brutal, so awful Because when sin was done with us, we looked nothing like God created us to be. It completely, it completely destroyed the image of God in us. And so he took it. He took all of our sin and he condemned it. And then he looked nothing like a man anymore. It's hectic, hey? It's hectic. So Jesus took on himself all the sins of the world. And um, Romans tells us that he, he became, sorry, 2 Corinthians tells us, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became what we were, so we can become what he is. He took our sin and he nailed it to that cross. And then when we choose to believe in him, when we choose to accept him as our saviour, he washes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember our sin anymore. And he makes us holy, blameless and above reproach in the sight of God. And it means that we can boldly access him. It changes everything. Ah. Let's quickly jump over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, Smitten by God and afflicted. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs. Surely, it means with certainty. This is absolute. It absolutely happened. 
Jesus took our griefs and carried our sorrows. Unfortunately, our English language doesn't quite pick up the fullness of what those words mean, right? So the grief there. Surely Jesus has borne our griefs. Grief in the original text means anxiety, calamity, disease, grief, and sickness. He, he bore those things for us. He's borne your anxiety. He's borne your calamity. He's, he's borne your disease and your sickness, right? And then, and he carried our sorrows. In the original text, that word sorrows means anguish, affliction, grief, physical and mental pain. So it's telling us Jesus bore all those things for us so we can actually walk free, right? And then if we keep going in verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. We don't really use that language anymore. Transgression, what does that mean? It means your rebellion, your sin. He was pierced for it. Your iniquities, what does that mean? The original um, text means perversity, depravity, your crookedness, your guilt. We're all born with this. We can't help it. It's called a sinful nature. And we desperately need a saviour. We desperately need him. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That word peace is shalom, which means safe, well, happy, healthy, prosperity, peace, favour, welfare, completeness, contentment. This is what he purchased for us. It's good news, isn't it? And by his wounds, we are healed. It means to repair thoroughly, to make whole spirit, soul and body. It's a whole package deal. It's good news. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So basically, does God love me? Does God love me? Well, he's carried my anxieties, my calamity, my disease, my grief, my sickness, my anguish, my affliction, my physical and mental pain. He's been pierced and, and torn apart for my rebellion and sin for my perversity, for my depravity, for my crookedness and guilt. And then he's given me shalom. I give him all that stuff. All the, the Bible tells us that we die to all of that. He who has died has been set free from sin. So we die to that. 
and that he makes us a brand new creation. Old things have passed away, all that crookedness, all that shame, all that guilt, all that rubbish, all of the stuff you were never created to be, that passes away. And you become a brand new creation and he says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you're going to look like me. You don't have to worry. All that stuff is just going to fall off. All that stuff I never created you to be, that's all going to fall off. Because I've created you in my likeness and image. And I've created you to be light in a dark world. So I'm going to fill you with my spirit. Oh, he loves the gospel being preached. We make it so complicated. It is not complicated. This is the gospel that sets people free. This is what the world needs. God is love. He sent his son. That's all the proof we need. If there's nothing else, he sent his son and he set us free from all that junk. Hallelujah. Ha. He just wants a relationship with his people. He just wants you to know him. He's made a way so that you can hear his voice and be filled with everything that he is so that you can go out and do what he created you to do. Yes. We're, we're, we're called to share him, but we're also called to like be awesome teachers and awesome nurses and, and awesome in the world so that people can be like, wow, there's something different about you. And you, you're, you're like, yeah, spirit of God lives in me. He can live in you too, hey? Ah, my point number three. Nothing. I've gone way off track. I don't know where the heck I am now. We're just going to go to point number three. <laughs> point number three. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God is love. He proved it in his son. And nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing in the Greek means nothing. <laughs> right? Romans 8:38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ha, that is good news. But Naomi, I stuffed up last week. Nothing can separate you from God's love. But Naomi, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know how awful my life is. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But Naomi, I've got mental health issues. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
But Naomi, I've got demons that talk to me. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. It's so fun. It's so fun when people are vocal. It helps. It helps, hey? Glory, glory. Um, I remember 11 years ago, I was relatively new to Darwin. I was a mum with three small children. Um, my husband was working 100-hour weeks. So life was, I didn't know very many people, husbands at work all the time. I've got these little kids. Life was a bit tough for me. And I didn't know what I know now about the gospel, right? I was, I was a Christian and I was doing my best to be a good Christian, right? But I was still a bit on struggle street. And I remember one morning I was getting the kids ready. I, I had plugged into a local church and um, it was Connect Group Day. So I was like, come on, kids. I wasn't really feeling it, didn't want to go, wasn't feeling like, I can't wait, can't wait. Not like when we go to Glorious City Church groups. We can't wait to get there. I was, <laughs> I was like, I really don't want to go. It's been a tough week. I'm sleep deprived. I'm, I'm, I'm barely keeping my life together, really. I'm lucky I'm out of my pajamas today right? I'm lucky I've had a shower. So I drag the kids in the car and I'm driving. And the whole way I'm feeling guilty, guilty. I'm just like, God, I'm, I'm talking to him a bit in the car. And I'm like, God, I haven't spent any time with you this week. I haven't read the Bible. I haven't been praying. Oh, I've got nothing to share. I know they're going to ask me something and I've got nothing to say. And I just feel so guilty. I felt so guilty, so heavy. And then the father spoke. And he said, Naomi, there is nothing you can do that will make me love you any more than I already do. There is nothing you can do. And his presence filled my car. And now I'm falling because God's in my car. His tangible presence is in my car while I'm driving. <laughs> and all the guilt that I was feeling, that's gone because the Father's just spoken to me. There are certainly things you can do to accelerate your growth in the Lord. There are things you can do that are pleasing to the Lord. Absolutely. But his love was settled on that cross. And there's nothing you can do that makes him love you anymore. And before you go judge someone, he loves that person you're judging exactly the same as he loves you. So let's put our judgments in our pockets and walk in love, hey? Let's represent our Father well. Oh. Hallelujah. And I'll just leave the rest of the comments there. Wheel it in. How you perceive God will determine how you receive from God. So let's be perceiving him correctly. God is love. 
God is love. Hallelujah. We have communion. You should have some communion on your chairs. Uh, sure. Thank you. All right. Grab your communion. Is there anyone that doesn't have communion? Because we'll throw one over to you. There's a reason why Jesus said, every time you meet, do this. Because he knows that we make things complicated <laughs> and we get off track really easily. So he's like, every time you meet, remember me. Remember what I did for you. Get back to the basics. I love you. I was broken for you. I poured out my blood for you so that you can be free from sin and for the, from the effects of sin. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, that you are love. You are love. Huh. In a world that's broken and falling apart, you are love. You are the answer. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you did on that cross. We remember God as a family. We remember what you did. We remember your body being torn apart, Jesus. Just take your bread and break it. And say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That you, your body was broken so that mine didn't have to be. We deserve it. <laughs> but he took it. So we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for taking our place. Thank you for taking all our crookedness, all our brokenness, all our sin, all our rebellion. Thank you for taking it. Thank you for taking the punishment that we deserve. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed. Hmm. You shed your blood so that we could be set free from sin. Thank you, Lord. We just declare over ourselves. <laughs> We are set free from rebellion, from sin, from, from perversity, from depravity, from crookedness, from guilt. Hallelujah. We declare that you've taken our anxiety, our calamity, our disease, our grief, our sickness, our anguish, our affliction, 
our physical and mental pain. You've taken it all. And you've exchanged it for peace. Ah, thank you, God. We have peace with God through Jesus. We can boldly come into your throne room. We can boldly talk to you, Father. We've been made righteous. As you are, so are we in this world. You have washed our sin as far as the east is from the west. We are forgiven. We are set free. We are made holy, blameless, and above reproach in your sight. So as a family, God, we just remember. We remember the cost, and we say thank you. May you receive the full reward of your suffering, Jesus. We take this and drink it and remember you. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah.